Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Greetings, Take On Board community. As many of you know, I was at the Australian Institute of Company Directors Governance Summit last week. And this week, I had promised a summary, like I did for you all last year. But I'll be honest, it's been a pretty tough week, indeed a tough month for many women, including me in Australia. Maybe it's just been a tough year or a tough decade or a tough lifetime. And I'm recording this on International Women's Day 2021. I continue to feel angry and tired and dispirited. For those of you who are not from Australia, the lead-up to International Women's Day 2021 has seen allegations of rape occurring in our Parliament House and historical rape claims against our Chief Law Officer, the Attorney-General of Australia. The response to this from our government, or indeed the lack of response, means I've been feeling pretty darn livid for much of the past month. So, yes, I'm about to do a summary of the conference. And where possible, just for something different perhaps, I'll focus on highlighting the topics about women, about diversity and about inclusion, even if that's just commentary from me. So let's get started. The opening statement was by John Atkins, the chair of the Institute of Company Directors. And he had all the right words about how we need to look at diversity in the boardroom and how that had to be about gender, age and looking beyond Anglo-Celtic board members. He encouraged us saying, we've achieved better gender diversity, so we know the way to do this. I tweeted a note about this at the time. We've achieved better gender diversity, but we haven't achieved gender equity, and we should. In Victoria, when the government determined that all new appointments to paid Victorian government boards would be 50% women, we achieved gender equity on Victorian government boards within a year or two. Easy. The AICD needs to push more strongly for this, as well as other forms of diversity. John also said we need to be a more inclusive environment in the boardroom and encouraged us to be humble, transparent and inclusive and to be the change you want to see. 
If I may be so bold, a humble and inclusive start to the AGS 2021 would have been by somebody who isn't a not-so-young white man. A quick look at the AICD board shows there's 12 people on that board. Seven of them are women, which is awesome. One of the women is the deputy chair. Why wasn't she chosen or one of the other six women chosen to open the conference? I also noted in my Twitter feed that the first four speakers were men. Indeed, all were noted in the program as chairman. If the AICD is seeking to go beyond inverted commas, just diversity to inclusivity, then being aware of the language they use is important. They should be not only showcasing using chair, but also advocating for others to use this non-gender specific language. Anyway, on with the first speaker. So the first speaker was Chairman Gordon Cairns of Woolworths. And despite what I've just said then, he was actually an excellent speaker. And he used a number of stories to illustrate his points, which was just fantastic because not all the speakers use those stories. And then it just risks being this kind of word jumble of keywords of innovation and equality and diversity and culture, but you don't actually know how it's being applied. So Gordon did a really excellent job of this. I'm not going to go through all of what he talked about. You can have a look at my Twitter feed for a more extensive summary, but I will recount some of the stories and themes. First and foremost, he talked about culture. The proven path, he says, is about getting the direction and the values right. And then if you're not adhering to the values, you need to do something about it. And he talked about how at Woolworths they had spent time on getting the stories, the symbols and the rituals right. One example he gave was how the CEO and the chair no longer have their own offices. They have hot desks, just like everyone else. And how when he was downstairs at the cafe at Woolworths and the person there tried to call him up to the front of the queue because, you know, he's a VIP, he refused. He takes his place in the queue. Now, just a side note about open plan offices and offices. I worked in an organisation about 10 years ago that also had open plan and everybody was open plan, including the CEO. Now, at that stage, I'd never worked in an open plan office and had always had an office to myself. So I've got to say, I expected to hate it, but I really enjoyed it. As long as there's sufficient quiet spaces to get work done when you need to, it's actually great for collaboration. And in my next role, when I returned to having my own office, I've got to say, it felt pretty darn lonely. So if, as expected, less and less people will be full-time in the office, then as boards, we're going to be dealing with the conundrum about how do we grapple with that? Should we be securing offices for people if they're only in the office a few days at a time? Is that the right use of resources? So, you know, my side note, it might be a good thing to consider open plan for everyone. Anyway, back to Gordon Keynes. So he talked about the elephant in the room, well, for some people there, about the underpayment that Woolworths had discovered. I think it was about $700 million, he said. And he noted that they self-reported and apologised and went through a very complex remediation process. He was upfront. His words, they screwed up. And although he did seem to suggest that people internally were not too fussed about it, which is probably gilding the lily a little bit, he did say that the CEO gave up a $3 million short-term incentive and that he, as chair, 
gave up 25% of his salary. Interestingly, he talked through how the decision about the chair forfeiting salary had come through the involvement of Simon Longstaff from the Ethics Centre in New South Wales and that they'd got him involved because as chair or indeed the other members of the board, they don't get ups and downs in their salary. They don't get more salary when things are going well and less when they're not going so well. So they got Simon Longstaff involved to determine what are the ethics of this. And the decision, for the chair at least, was yes. It was framed around the chair's role being around both accountability and responsibility. So I thought it was really interesting that they got the Ethics Centre in for that discussion and wonder if more boards did this, would they make better decisions? Overall, he reminds us that culture eats strategy for breakfast and that the benefits of a good culture are discretionary effort that money can't buy. He says that the Woolworth staff delight customers and it's about going above and beyond. Secondly, and look, this is probably a subset of culture, but he talked about some ways that he and the board used to find out what's going on on the ground. He said that when he was considering whether to take on the role of chair, he spoke to one of the staff members on the checkout that he was at. He asked her if she enjoyed her job. No, she said. She said the manager was terrible. She purchased her own groceries at Aldi, that all of her co-workers were unhappy. As he dryly noted, you don't always need a culture survey to find out what's going on. He had another example of finding out what's going on on the ground. Apparently, he and other board directors take a shift on the ground. So he's done shifts stacking shelves at Dan Murphy's. Other directors have been on the checkout. They've got protocols around this, announcing it, so they're not like a secret shopper and the colleagues that they're standing beside know who they're talking to. But he said that when they get in there and if you're appropriately humble, then people will tell you honestly what's going on. They ask what's working, what needs to change, and people tell them. Another story he told of a store visit. He was at a store and asking the manager about an increase in theft that had been observed. He asked why security people weren't picking it up. The manager told him that people were stealing meat and milk, basic staples that they needed to eat. The manager said to him, what do you want me to do? Security might be seeing it, but if people need to eat, should we be doing anything about it? The chair said, no, just keep doing what you're doing, walk on by. And he said, it's that sort of attitude that makes a difference. They care. He says, that is their secret source. <laughs> Having said that, I did note that when he was discussing his relationship with the CEO and how they talk daily, that he said the CEO works from 5.30am to 10pm, seven days a week. I've got to say, that doesn't strike me as the most caring or sustainable approach. His third theme was around the boardroom itself. He noted that five of the nine members of the board are women, which is fantastic. And he talked about how they had real cultural diversity, although he named the US, New Zealand and South Africa as the places that the board were from, which I'm not sure necessarily gives an in indication of extensive diversity. In the boardroom, he noted that they all have an overt obligation to dissent and that this creates constructive tension and enormous insight. He says it leads to better decision-making. As chair, he keeps people to this mantra and makes sure that it's done appropriately. It's not for attacking people, 
And he also noted that once a decision is made, they all lock in behind it. This helps to set the tone from the top. They also regularly review the performance of the board individually and collectively, every year. And the chair meets with all of them individually each year. The chair also publishes his review internally. I didn't catch whether this was for all of the directors, but certainly for the chair. Overall, he says, it's a star team, not a team of stars. There was a lot more in what he said. And as I've said, check out my Twitter feed for more from him and the panel that followed. And the AICD might even have some of this online as well. So next up, we heard from Angus Armour, the CEO of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. For me, the quotable quote from him was, if we don't take a position, we're taking a position. Likewise, if we don't make a decision, we are making a decision. If we don't take a risk, we are taking a risk. This was in reference to a number of things, whether it's collaboration across different states or different sectors or institutions or taking risks or behaving ethically. In essence, he was saying, if you don't take a position on something, that is taking a position. So step up and make the decision. We then heard from Robin Denholm, who's the chair of Tesla. No, she didn't tell us what it was like working with Elon Musk. It was the top-rated question, but she said very clearly that she wasn't going to be answering those sorts of questions. She asked us to ask ourselves, how do we ensure our companies are doing good as well as being good and delivering on long-term value for shareholders? In this new era of capitalism, can we leave behind greed is good and that it's all about the bottom line. She says that Australia has the opportunity to be the clean energy capital of the world and that this is meeting the needs of both shareholders and consumers. It's the right thing to do economically and the right thing to do. She says, what better way is there for Australia to see economic prosperity by rewiring the economy for cheap renewable energy and provide a foundation for the future? She encouraged us as directors to ask where the energy comes from in our organisations. To look not just at the business itself, but also the supply chain, logistics, transport. She says there's plenty of resources for us to use about these things and to use them. She also picked up on a theme that others had also referred to, a culture where failure is okay. How else do we innovate? Where we can encourage a fail-fast atmosphere, celebration of failure and taking risks. We don't always have the answers, so we need innovation. She says it doesn't have to be a huge R&D budget. It can be in systems or the way you work with customers. It's a push and a drive that comes from the necessity of needing to do better. It's a mindset and a culture. Okay, now continuing our traverse through AGS 2021, the post-lunch panel on day one was how boards can shape the future. And we heard from Emma Gray from ANZ, Jamila Godden from Lumachain, Margie Seal from Westpac, Telstra and Centre, and Andrew Stevens, the Chair of the Industry Innovation and Science Australia. I'm not going to go through all of this, but some of the takeouts here. Firstly, innovation is a means to an end. The end is growth, market share and so on. Secondly, there is a need for boards to understand customers and the value chain. If you don't, you're going to miss out on a lot. Management teams and boards don't obsess enough about where the customer is at. Thirdly, 
Spend more time on innovation and building your innovation muscle in the boardroom. Fourthly, invest more in R&D and think about R&D broadly. It was quoted here that only 6% of companies invest in R&D and that those who invest at the 75th percentile are more successful in terms of growth. So it's worth it. Fifth, the modern management team and boardroom needs to understand tech. It's critical. Ask about how AI is working in your business right now. Ask what data you hold. Ask what the quality of your data is. Ask what your data governance is like. Have those tech people there and understand the tech issues yourselves to make sure that you are really contributing to the board. And last but not least, when's the best time to innovate? Now, today is the best time to innovate and boards need to step up. The next panel was around culture shock and the new ways of working. And we heard from Julianne Allrove from Infrastructure Australia and a few other places, Kirsten Ferguson, Susan Storey and Mitch Young. Again, just some brief takeouts. Nearly 50% of work will be from home in the future post-pandemic. During the pandemic, keeping workers safe built alignment and trust as the purpose was clear. Into the future, this might blur more and there might be a need for more guidelines for both physical and mental health to be protected. A PwC report showed that culture improved for the better during this period. Flexibility is going to be key moving into the future. And leadership in this environment needs to focus on ensuring wellbeing is looked after. There needs to be a balance of discipline with heart. The data shows that productivity is higher when people are working from home, so leaders need to trust and to build trust. One story that was shared and, you know, side note, like I said earlier, I don't think enough speakers shared practical stories, was by Julian Allrow, who's the chair of Queensland Ballet. She told us how when the pandemic hit, they shipped to each of their dancers sprung floors and the bar that each of them need so that they could dance at home. They also challenged the dancers to create their own 60-second piece, I guess, their own 60-second dance. And this meant that they focused on both their physical well-being and their mental well-being as the small piece of work that they needed to create meant they had to communicate with the technical teams, the production team, and it encouraged collaboration and connection between the entire team. It was also noted that COVID had exposed the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Internet, the number of devices available in a home, the space that people have in their home, the digital divide was stark. And if we are a nation of innovators, we need to ensure we have access to information and the technology and not just in the cities. The next panel was about how boards could respond to social movements. This was a really great panel, but I'm going to focus on just one moment from it. There was lots of talk about getting it right, about thinking about the broader society, aligning with values, getting different perspectives, aligning with purpose, and all said that diversity is key to this. One of the speakers, Ian Ham, who is the chair of the First Nations Foundation and the Koori Heritage Trust, then said, despite all the good intentions and all the good words, what are we actually doing about this? He then asked for all the black fellas in the room to raise their hand. One person raised their hand. 
all this talk of diversity, of inclusion, of getting beyond Anglo-Saxon board directors, and there's one First Nations director in the room. It's just not good enough. And, and this is my commentary here, we all need to take responsibility for that. I know on both of the boards that I'm on, we don't have an Aboriginal person in a boardroom. And although I can say that they're government appointments and therefore the board doesn't have control of this, all of which is entirely true, we can and should continue to advocate around it. I've also been on the nominations committee of one organisation for, I think, three years, and we've never appointed a First Nations person to that board. In fact, in that period, the only First Nations person has stepped down from the board and she wasn't replaced with another First Nations person. Again, we have made efforts to reach out to First Nations people, but clearly we are not doing enough. Wendy Stops, a director of Coles, talked about how they are beyond the Reconciliation Action Plan and how exciting it was to be at that stage, how diversity is part of how you do business. But I've got to say, I don't see a First Nations person in their boardroom either. Sure, not every board has to have a First Nations person. Indeed, the panel talked about this and Ian commented that there's just not enough blackfellas to go around. For my part, I don't think you need to tick all the boxes. Gender, disability, culture, First Nations and the like. But you do need a diverse and inclusive boardroom. And most boardrooms are not. The panel wasn't supportive of quotas and listeners of this podcast will know that I am. And although I do have some sympathy for the arguments that were presented, essentially that targets mean that the organisation set their own destiny and therefore those targets are stronger for them rather than having it imposed upon them, I've got some sympathy for this, although I'm also impatient and quotas do the trick quickly. And as one of them said, at the end of the day, perhaps whether it's quotas or targets doesn't really matter at all. It's actually about leadership and showing that leadership. We need to do better. I need to do better. Let's all do better on this and focus on that together. The final session of day one was about preparing for black swan events, thriving through tail risk. I'll be honest, by this point, I was pretty tired, so it's a pretty short summary. The session focused on climate change and it was noted that too many boardrooms are climate incompetent and the moral and investment imperative is to look over the medium to long term. By 2050, we need to be in a carbon net zero position globally. The quotable quote for me from this session, it's not about values, it's about value and sustainability risk is at the heart of investment. And that, folks, is the end of day one. So let's power on to day two. Day two was opened by Nev Power, the chair of the COVID Commission. A few of the key messages he shared with us. Firstly, the rollout of the vaccine is key to Australia's economic recovery. And I think those of us that work, have worked from home for the majority of the last 12 months would also say it is key to our social recovery as well. He said boards can help in the rollout of the vaccine by, firstly, supporting the vaccine rollout as it's been announced. He said, we just can't afford to have businesses jostling for moving up the queue. There's enough to go around, so let's just support it as it's been said. Secondly, avoid turning vaccination into a workplace issue. He says the issue about whether employers can require vaccination is overblown. 
The reality is that most people want to be vaccinated, so let's just get on with it. Thirdly, businesses need to help ensure complacency doesn't set in. Continue to be and remain COVID safe. Social distancing, cleaning, contact tracing, staying home if unwell. We can't be complacent about these things as the vaccine is not a silver bullet. The next session on day two was called Nowhere to Hide and it featured Prue Bennett, Alan Kirkland from Choice, Mark Morey from Unions New South Wales and Nicola Roxon in her role as Chair of HESTA and Vic Health. Alan Kirkland reminded us that consumers expect to not be misled and to not be charged for things when they're not getting value and that these things still happen. He said, as a director, you are accountable, so you need to understand how your products work and how your organisation makes money. If you want to meet community expectations and consumer expectations, you need to ask these questions. In Q&A, he was asked about how to bring the consumer voice to the boardroom. And he said that this could be about inviting stakeholder groups, unions or legal services or consumer organisations like Choice. He also suggested spending time in the call centres of your organisations, as you can really hear how customer queries are dealt with and indeed what those customer queries are. He said there's some good examples of boards engaging with stakeholder groups and there's a lot of value in that. It's not just a management role. And in terms of stakeholders generally, Prue encouraged a broader stakeholder approach. She encourages us to know your stakeholders and let that guide your strategy. As I'd mentioned earlier, Alan asked us as boards to ask ourselves, what are the most profitable products and services? And then look at the whole chain of that line and ensure that they are ethical. For example, he talked about the bundling of insurance with some financial products and the incredibly high interest rates on credit cards. For the credit cards, the profitable customers are those that are trapped in debt. Is that sustainable? You can't always rely on consumers to directly raise these issues. You just need to make ethical and sustainable choices. Mark Morey from Unions New South Wales talked about one key stakeholder group, employees. He asked us to consider how we are supporting and equipping employees and how the pandemic had driven a shift to thinking about mental health, which is a really positive thing. He said we need to think broadly, for example, considering family violence and working from home, which didn't take long for employers to do, but right at the start probably wasn't something that was considered. He also asked us to consider how work from home had cost shifted to employees and how they might best deal with that. And he talked about how we need to keep employees safe and ensure that they're paid correctly. The gig economy, particularly meal delivery, has taken off enormously during the pandemic. Many drivers are only getting paid about $6 an hour. They're being exploited and some are killed at work. We need to do better and we can't just outsource people's rights. His final request of us, he asked us to consider, would we recommend that family and friends work at the company that we are on the board of? If not, then there's some work to be done. Nicola Roxon, who's the chair of HESTA, noted that they don't buy into the shareholder versus stakeholder divide. She says the interests are the same. If companies are well managed, they'll be successful. She said that the gap with position and action with an organisation like Rio Tinto was huge. And in that instance, Hester, who invests in mining and who want good mining practices, 
they worked with Indigenous communities about trying to get to the core of the issue. This led to Rio reviewing all of their agreements and also the parliamentary committee picking up on what they had done. This was a stronger response than to just the individual incident. Likewise, she talked about how Hester had actively pushed for more women in executive teams and how they very publicly signalled that they have a 10-year expectation on this. As a patient, long-term investor, they want companies to succeed. And to succeed, they need more women at the top. As a side note, my second moment of the conference was when Nicola Roxham was asked if Hester would also be demanding that boards ensure that companies have more of a focus on sexual harassment. Remember, this was asked during the media frenzy of the week where a historical rape was alleged against a current cabinet minister. But at this stage, whilst the chatter suggested the person in question was the Attorney General, this hadn't been confirmed. And remember that Nicola Roxon had been Australia's first female Attorney General. So in response, what did she say? She said, Unfortunately, we're still seeing sexual harassment everywhere. It feels like it's been a topic for my whole working life. We need women's voices to be heard and respected. It should be a key issue. Savvy directors need to delve more deeply. At Hester, we need to be a gutsy advocate, but we want it to be framed to build a stronger society that builds better futures for our members. Enough is enough. Women deserve better. I've got to say, I almost cried when she said this. I've been working for about the same time as she has, and sometimes it really feels like not much has changed. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, it's been a very long month for many Australian women. So thank you, Nicola, for saying exactly what I was thinking and feeling and for continuing to be a strong advocate for women. And all power to you and others at HESTA in continuing to advocate for change. Motoring along, we then heard a keynote address on reimagining capitalism with Rebecca Henderson from Harvard. She's the author of a book by the same name. Rebecca has energy, loads of it. In essence, she says that business is one of the strongest institutions in our society. Governments are under threat or hamstrung. Civil society is under threat or weakened. So business needs to step up. And she says that business can and should shift from maximising profits to solving public problems profitably. She says the purpose of organisations is not to just get a decent return to investors, in much the same way as we, as humans we all breathe, but the purpose of life is not about breathing. She says you need to identify your purpose, as in your business purpose. What are you really trying to do? And then, secondly... You need to discover shared value. That is, business models that make money, yield return and tackle public problems. She gave us a couple of examples. Walmart saved money by reducing waste and increasing efficiency in transport. Tesla is profitable because they saw that electric vehicles were the way of the future. The third step, she says, is to cooperate within regions and industries. For example, large food companies acting together on deforestation. Regional companies acting on local schools and health in that region. She says we need to rewire the financial system so that capital moves to those firms who deal with these problems and support actions. 
She also says that we, boards and businesses, need to support government. Private and public sector and civil society need to work together to address climate change, to create a just society, to be democratic, transparent and accountable. Her view is that maximising shareholder value works if we are in a world of equal opportunity, a strong labour movement, no misogyny or racism and the like. But without this, then only focusing on maximising shareholder value can also create immense human suffering. It's not a small thing. She says we need to change. To do nothing but maximise shareholder value is dangerous to the world and to the private sector as it delegitimises its place. We need the dynamism and the power and innovation of capitalism. So we need to get this right. So she says that business has a place in supporting government and other institutions. She says governments are the best way to tackle climate change, for example, by putting a tax or a price on carbon. Governments are the best way to tackle inequality. They invest in education, in health and in a living wage. The problem is, she says, in most parts of the world, governments are unwilling or unable to put these policies in place. And in Australia, we've certainly seen that in relation to climate change and a price on carbon. She says that if governments are unwilling or unable to put these policies in place, that creates further inequality. And this creates rage. And the enraged hate the government, and so it goes on. So business has an incentive to rebuild these institutions. Business needs to ensure that democracy is more transparent. Business needs government and to work with government to improve their capacity. As she says, business needs to step up. And she says, if you have people on your board that refuse to see this, well, maybe you need to talk about who's on your board. In talking about business and government, she also says that lobbying is a destruction of the social compact, which again puts the whole legitimacy of capitalism in doubt. We need to get the money out of politics, she says. We need a collective understanding that this needs to stop. So what are some of the practical ways to address inequality that business can do? Well, recognise that inequality is bad for everyone. So you can pay people a living wage, even if the minimum wage is not at that level. You can increase wages. You can design work so people are more engaged. You can hire more diverse people. You can work with local communities and government. <laughs> you can even encourage taxing business more to ensure education and health for all. Her final request, her number one personal tip, do something personal. That might be flying less, might be eating less meat. Whatever you do, it won't be enough to solve all of the problems we face. But if you don't make some effort in your own life, how are you going to know about the challenges that others face? As a citizen, play what role you can to bring us together to solve these issues. Whew, what a whirlwind ride it was hearing from her. And it's one that I truly did not expect to hear at the Australian Government Summit 2021. Oh, the next panel, turning a crisis into an opportunity. And we heard from Kate Morris, who's the founder of Adore Beauty. Her tips for a crisis? Honest, open, frequent communication. Prioritise the staff, their jobs and their health. They were clear at Adore that customers were important too, but workers were number one. For Adore, flexible work will stay. They haven't asked the team to come back on site yet. Well, those that have been off-site, some in the warehouses and so on, have been on-site the whole time. 
and they won't be asking people to come back until the end of March. Then they're going to assess the vaccine rollout and a couple of other things. And the view there is that they want a mix of in and out of the office and they're looking to find the balance so that they can get the good of both. Their challenge during the pandemic was to scale the customer experience whilst, as she said, they were drinking from the fire hose. Of course, home delivery, online ordering, all of that type of thing went completely nuts during the pandemic and they were overwhelmed. So that communication they had with staff also extended to customers. They were upfront and let them know about delays in getting goods out and getting deliveries done. And they also had to scale up their customer service team really quickly. At that stage, they had private equity support and they were glad they did so they didn't have to go through it alone. And going ahead with their public offer during lockdown, well, she says that some made sourdough, she did an IPO. And I've got to say, there wasn't a hint of founder syndrome in how she presented it all. She said that the culture they had built was really special and she wanted to ensure that it endured if she was hit by the proverbial bus. They brought on a CEO, which she describes as the least chaotic thing they did during COVID, having waited to find just the right person. Next was the regulatory update with Pamela Hanrahan. Now, the slides for this are all in my Twitter feed. I think they might also be on the AICD website. So just a few points from this. She opened with the fact that there's a difference between legal liability, commercial accountability and ethical responsibility. All of them are important, but they're different. She also spent a bit of time talking about the Crown report. And she said that whilst the report wasn't on whether directors had breached the law, it did give us much to think about in terms of issues for boards. She asked, what's going on in an organisation where there is money laundering, exposing employees to risk in China, and via their junket operators, association with organised crime? There were clearly issues with risk management, governance, culture, and, key, relationships one of, with PACA as one of their big shareholders. Five directors have now stepped down from Crown. So, she says, the report is, well, worth a read. Next up, there was a session around mental health. And again, just a couple of pointers from that. Firstly, the line between work and home has become more blurred. And don't we all know it? Particularly in the last 12 months. So, we can't put mental health to one side. It's part of our obligation as a board. Secondly, we need to be open to looking at lead and lag indicators. And things like an unplanned absence on a Monday or a Friday is just as likely to be a mental health issue, early warning sign, as it is someone skiving off early. Likewise, musculoskeletal injuries have also been found to be an early warning sign sometimes for mental health issues. So gather the right evidence and data. Thirdly, mental health issues are not an individual problem, they're not a family problem. It's all of our problems. Mental health challenges are just as likely to impact on those in the boardroom as in other parts of the organisation. So the message for boards, be vulnerable. It shows we are human and role models, what others can do as well. Lastly, there are economic benefits of good mental health. It's been reported that if we increase trust by 10%, the net economic benefit would be about $45 million a year. Oh, and now the final panel was about resolve and resilience 
and we heard from Shane Fitzsimmons, who was the Commissioner of New South Wales Resolve and Resilience. And I think he was the captain of the bushfires response during the New South Wales bushfire season in 1920. We, and also on this panel was Tarun Wiramanthri. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the President of the Public Health Association of Australia. Shane Fitzsimmons talked about the scale and complexity of the 2020 fires and the length of the fire season. It went for six months. He talked about the fire behaviour and fire spreading exceeding all of the modelling and that there was damage and destruction in New South Wales like never before. 12,000 fires over five into six months when the seasonal fires are often usually just days or weeks. So how do you keep people motivated and engaged in that sort of environment? He says, first and foremost, understand the purpose. In the fire sense, it's about saving lives, saving property and saving the environment. So you need to keep people united around the purpose and that cause, saving lives, was key. He also reminded us that leading in disasters is a manifestation of your investment in culture and leadership. All of the underpinning systems around culture are amplified. So you draw on that investment during a crisis. And he says that communication skills really come to the fore. The courage to speak up, being able to say you are wrong, to ask for others' opinions, all of those things come to the fore in a crisis. The most important thing you can say is, I don't understand. Then you can get clarity. Humility is central to coping with a crisis. And be clear on your communication. Keep in mind both internal and external audiences. Workers, volunteers, family, community. Say what you know and what you don't know. Say what you're doing and what you're not doing. Be clear, be authentic and be caring. He said, if you don't care, why are you there? And be there when things go wrong. There's no excuse for not being there when things go wrong. You need to take responsibility and back the team. Oh, and that take on board community is a wrap. That is two full days in less than an hour of listening. So if you were at the summit, either virtually or in person, I would love to hear what your key takeouts were. And if you didn't make it, I would love to hear what you've taken from this summary. Find me on LinkedIn or in the take on board Facebook group or send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Now to finish on a high note and a community service announcement. First, the high note. Like last year, we had a take on board meetup on the Monday night at the beautiful Opera Bar in Sydney. And it was so awesome to meet people. I got to meet Penny, who was part of Board Accelerator last year, and I'd never met her face to face. I met up with Alice, who's part of the Board Accelerator program this year. And Felicity, who just reached out via LinkedIn to come along. And Sally, who was the CEO that we hired from my first board about two decades ago. Also, there was Sandra and Kristen and Zora. It was so fabulous. So if you want to be part of future meetups, I'll let you know via the pod or the Take On Board Facebook group about future events. Finally, my community service announcement. As mentioned at the top of the episode, it's been a pretty tough time for the women of Australia the last month or so. If you've felt this too, well, I'll be heading to the Melbourne March for Justice on Monday the 15th of March at midday. If you'll be there too, let me know. I encourage you to come along. There is nothing like being with a group of strong, like-minded women to soothe the soul 
and feel more hopeful that one day things might actually change for the better, for safety, for equality, for justice. See you there. I'll pop a link in the show notes. So that's it for this week, this marathon episode. Thank you for hearing it out and see you next week for another episode. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation. Bye.